Hello all, we are back. Thanks for sticking with us through our quick break. We've changed the format a bit and have some exciting stuff in store for you. So without further ado, here's this month's episode. Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talk a little bit about benefits. Yeah, benefits. Talking benefits. You are listening to Talking Benefits. Every month we cover the top stories in retirement and healthcare, the latest benefits, hot topics, and whatever else the industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. And I'm Kelly Colesrude. Now let's talk benefits. Welcome back, Julie. Welcome back, Kelly. Um, how are your four-month breaks from the podcast? <laughs> well, I was very sad to not be with you guys on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Let's just hope we're not out of practice, right? Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Yes. I'm sure that our listeners missed us all very much over the past four months, so let's get right back into it. Okay. Uh, In this new format, each episode is going to have two distinct segments. First, we're always going to take you through the top three headlines since our last episode in a feature that I like to call News from Nerds. News. 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 News from Nerds. Well, Justin, it's obvious who came up with that right. name. Yeah. I don't know if I want to define myself as that, but that's... You know, that's I, it's I very think alliterative. Of my, well, but I think of myself more as an enthusiast, yes. not a nerd. Yes. I have totally embraced my benefit nerdiness, but it's okay, I guess, if you have not. And then after that news update, we're going to take a deep dive on a trending benefits topic. So keep listening when we discuss what benefit pros want to know. All right, let's get started. Just a reminder that this segment is being recorded on April 17th, 2018 at 10 a.m. Central Time. Okay, so it's time for the news, so I'll start. Got to talk about the Affordable Care Act, or ACA. As you remember, ACA's mandate that requires individuals to get health coverage or be penalized was disarmed with the new tax law enacted last December. The new law reduced the individual mandate penalty to $0 starting in 2019. Just last week, the federal government issued new rules that expand the list of circumstances that qualify for hardship exemptions from the individual mandate. These new rules allow individuals who live in a county where only one insurer is selling a qualifying plan in the exchange to apply for an exemption. Currently, about half of all U.S. counties have only one insurer offering coverage in the exchange. Also, the rules say that if all qualifying plans available through the exchange cover abortion services, and that is contrary to an individual's beliefs, he or she can ask for an exemption. Finally, if individuals cannot get adequate access to the health care specialist they need via the plans offered in the exchange, they may qualify for an exemption. These new exemptions apply to 2017 and 2018 coverage years, so the bottom line is that more people could qualify for exemptions even before the mandate is disarmed in 2019. But as for employers and plan sponsors, it's important to note that the employer mandate is still in effect. To enforce this mandate, the IRS started sending out 226J letters last year. If you have received one of these penalty letters, it's important to note that you have only 30 days to respond. We're hearing that in many cases, employers are receiving these letters because they did not fill out the 1095 forms correctly, not because they don't offer adequate coverage. Still, it's crucial to respond to the IRS in either case. Justin, you're up. All right. So moving on to our next topic, Uh, in past episodes we had discussed various paid sick leave provisions that are being proposed and enacted across the U.S. Uh, So we're currently at 10 states plus 
the District of Columbia, and several counties and cities who are kind of jumping into this provision. Starting with Maryland, uh, the Maryland's Healthy Working Families Act became law effective February 12th of 2018. Uh, also Austin, Texas. On February 16th, the Austin, Texas City Council voted to make paid sick leave mandatory for all non-governmental employers in the city. And that will start on October 1st. And finally, uh, moving on to New Jersey, uh, on April 12th, a bill passed Senate, and this law will take effect 180 days after the governor signs. This law would allow workers to accrue one hour of earned sick leave for every 30 hours worked, and that is maxed out at 40 hours per year. Time could be used for workers or family members' illness, to attend a school conference or meeting, or to recover from domestic violence. Governor Phil Murphy has said that he will sign it, and this law will preempt the municipal paid sick ordinances that exist in 13 towns and cities across New Jersey. And finally, Julie is going to give us a quick update on the fiduciary rule. Yes. Our final news story uh, today is an update on the Department of Labor's fiduciary or conflict of interest rule. On March 13th, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals again affirmed the DOL ruling in the market synergy case. Just a couple of days later, however, on the 15th, a three-judge panel of the Fifth Circuit ruled the other way in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce case. The panel vacated the DOL rule, saying the agency had exceeded its rulemaking authority when they adopted the new advice definition, and it acted arbitrarily and capriciously in adopting the rule as a whole. After the decision was released, the DOL announced that they won't enforce the rule pending further review. There's no word yet if the DOL will appeal. And will they release a revised rule? You'll recall they gathered more comments in 2017. There seems to be some confusion as to whether the Fifth Circuit decision applies nationwide or only in the three states that make up the Fifth Circuit, which is Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. You've got a great benefits plan with a ton of value for your participants. But if they don't know about it, they can't utilize it. Sounds like you need to head to the Benefit Communication and Technology Institute in Portland, Oregon on July 23rd and 24th, 2018. You'll learn the latest requirements, current trends, and best practices for communicating your plans. Register today at ifebp.org. What benefit pros, benefit pros, benefit pros want to know, want to know. What benefit pros want to know. So every episode, we're going to focus on a trending benefits topic. And this month, it's behavioral decision making. To help us out, I asked Ann Patterson, communications and social media associate at the foundation, to join us. And you were really involved in the celebration of National Employee Benefits Day, which was this past April 2nd. And our theme for this year was uh, behavioral decision-making. Yes. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure joining you for this episode. Yes, behavioral decision-making was the Benefits Day theme this year. And we were able to offer tons of great resources on the topic, like a webcast, blog post, research papers, and a fabulous video, and lots of different tips for plan sponsors. Well, I suppose before we get too far down this road, we should probably explain what behavioral decision-making is. Behavioral decision-making is also known as behavioral finance or behavioral economics, and it actually combines psychology with the study of economics. 
It looks at how emotional, social, and cognitive factors influence the decisions that we make every day. And benefit plan design and communication are very often based on assumptions about people that aren't right. We always think that people are going to make rational decisions. We're going to be kind of like Mr. Spock. And no, I won't do Star Trek references here. But people aren't rational. We, we often make irrational decisions. In many ways, we're kind of more like Homer Simpson than we are Mr. Spock. And there are lots of different behavioral decision-making theories that are out there with fancy names. Julie, I learned a ton about these theories over the course of our benefits day planning, and I started catching myself applying the theories to my day-to-day -day decisions after I learned the fancy mm -hmm. names. Um, take the endorsement effect, for example. It's when the decisions of others, including the plan sponsor, a spouse, or a friend, are followed. Basically, you'll easily believe something if it's said authoritatively, and I totally fell for this recently during a wine tasting event with friends. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're going through the whites and then the reds, and I know enough about wine to get me by. I, I'll just say, like, legs and tannins a lot, um, but not nearly as much <laughs> as the two others in the group mm -hmm. um, who were wine nerds, or should I say wine enthusiasts for uh, <laughs> Kelly and Justin here. Uh, but because of their much more extensive wine knowledge, we all ended up deciding to purchase the bottles of wine that they said were the best, even though they might not have tasted the best to us. So this was the endorsement effect, and I totally fell for it. <laughs> So how does the endorsement effect relate to benefits? Employees think that the default contribution rate of maybe 3%, for example, is the best, even though it's just a rate that an employer chooses to get employees started in the plan. So employers need to be careful of their automatic deferral rates because it may give the appearance that they are recommending that level even though it may not be appropriate. Right, because they'll definitely need more to have a secure retirement, but if they sit there, that won't be enough. Exactly. Another example, when someone who is seen as a leader in the company, and this doesn't necessarily have to be an executive, it could be a supervisor, a peer, uh, any sort of a colleague that you respect or who is excited about investments or financial planning, uh, talks to their coworkers about these topics specifically. You can help this influential person get their knowledge out so they can continue to kind of teach their coworkers about the best uh, ways to uh, save. And make sure that they are really equipped with knowledge. Right. I mean, not right just blowing steam. <laughs> right, you can teach them and they can teach others. Right. Absolutely. Another final example for the endorsement effect is uh, on a form. When including a list of actions, add wording that indicates a recommended action to take or that an action is not necessarily recommended. Uh, for example, uh, if there's an option to opt out of a program or to defer 0% to out of your paycheck, maybe indicate that this is not necessarily a recommended practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've got another um, example okay. that we can talk about. It's something called choice overload. And I know we all face this in a lot of ways. But when there are just too many options to choose from, it can paralyze you and you can't really make a thoughtful decision. Recently, I went to the optometrist, needed to get some new glasses and I walk out into the room that has all the eyeglass frames and there are just I mean three walls covered with different frames and you're kind of like oh gosh where do I start and you walk around and keep trying on all of these different frames and then I have some favorites and then I think oh wait did I miss this group or something you know so you're just overwhelmed and you can't remember what you've tried on and what you haven't so I mean I eventually got there and I do like my new glasses <laughs> but 
I spent a lot of time, and sometimes you just overload people with choices, and that's not always a good thing. I kind of had the opposite happen to me, Kelly, which your glasses look amazing, so I (laughs) I think you made the right choice. (laughs) But I actually just used a company for purchasing the glasses that I'm wearing right now. You select up to five frames on their website, and then they send you the frames in the mail to try on. You make the selection and then mail the frames back. It was super, super easy, and I think I was happier with my decision because I had less to choose from at each step in the process. And then I noticed the endorsement effect here come into play because I knew all the frames were trendy to begin with based on this company because cool and stylish New Yorkers picked them out for their company (laughs) website. Interesting. So, okay, how does this whole idea of choice overload relate to benefits? Well, for example, maybe it's a good idea not to give your participants or your employees way too many investment options for their 401k or their 403b plan sometimes that can just paralyze a person they don't even know where to begin or another option is to you know if in related to your health care plan don't give them too many health plan options to choose from you can choose a limited number of options that you make available and these could be more targeted and make more sense for your employee population So kind of following that trend earlier of those websites that you can order uh, products online from, that sort of makes me think of this kind of new online trend around subscription services. Uh, There's an entire industry of online subscription services, whether it's clothing, makeup, uh, shaving supplies, book clubs, and the list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So all these services operate around the concept of inertia slash status quo and the default heuristic. Uh, This means that people are reluctant to change and often take the path of least resistance. They send the items to me every week, every month, and I never tell them to stop. Uh, On a a personal level, it's more difficult for me to go online and cancel my monthly razor kits than automatically being charged for it (laughs) month by month. (laughs) I've done that too. I've I've done one of the food ones too, and it is kind of hard to like get around to canceling it, which is what they count on, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So again, how does this relate to benefits specifically? You may be able to use auto-enrollment at a default rate and then an auto-escalation by a rate of 1% or more for people's investments uh, until you get them to the desired area that you want. Also, you may use the default investment to be one that makes sense for your population specifically. Um, The use of target date funds to target different ages of your Uh, workforce is very effective. Mm -hmm. Well, another theory of behavioral decision-making is framing. And framing is just talking about how decision options are described or framed in by context or by the words that you use. I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, So I have a friend who just turned 35 and then around that same time she found out she's having a baby which is so exciting and awesome Um, and neither one of us had any idea that they doctors refer to a pregnancy after the age of 35 as a geriatric pregnancy which was previously called advanced maternal age if you google the word geriatric it literally says relating to old people so the the same term is used to describe my 35-year-old friend, Mm -hmm. and I just think if this was framed differently, it would have a different connotation than than it is now. Something like that happened to a friend of mine. Of course, I'm older than you are, but um, I have a friend who had already had three children, and when she, like, right when she turned 35, she got pregnant with her fourth, Mm -hmm. and suddenly, the doctors were treating her, you know, like they 
collar geriatric right. or advanced maternal age, even though she'd already had three successful births and she went through all these other things. But it, it kind of, it was, um, for her, it was like, wow, okay, make me feel really old, mm -hmm. right? But, and, and then it's also in the case of your friend, it's, it's kind of a, a negative view of what was a, a wise decision on your friend's part, right? She, I'm sure she planned for this. Right. She, she waited until they were ready and then they're 35 and voila, now she gets called geriatric, you know? Right. <laughs> So how can we relate this to benefits? Justin, are you going to explain that? I'd be happy to. So um, things that we can do in our retirement and health plans, change your language in your education or your communication efforts to your workers. For example, if retirement sounds unappealing or way too far away, uh, rather than using the phrase retirement security, use financial independence or financial security. As we've heard from the previous examples, words can have connotations that are the actual opposite of what they mean to convey. Early retirement sounds great. The early bird catches the worm. But if we want people to stay, refer to early retirement as when you get reduced benefits, not full benefits. Um, moving along the, spect the spectrum, normal retirement may sound boring. Who wants to be normal? I, I don't want to be normal. I'm not normal. I know that. Um, <laughs> we well, won't say anything. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we can vote. Yeah. I don't know. Um, refer to it as getting your full retirement benefits, not a normal retirement. And again, further down the spectrum, uh, delayed retirements. That kind of sounds bad. Delayed kind of has a negative connotation. Uh, point out that they'll be maximizing and getting the most increased benefits by staying a year or two longer. Yeah, that really turns the table on that concept of mm -hmm. different times of retirement. That's, that's an interesting application. Well, and, and this same situation reminds me of another theory that's similar to framing called effect heuristics. Effect heuristic really just means that decisions are influenced or you make them quickly by the initial emotional reaction you have to a term or idea. So in other words, we get a gut feeling about something without thinking it through logically and rationally. Okay, this is kind of fun. Let's do more of these. All right. Okay, I have one for loss aversion. I just caught myself doing this a couple weekends ago. So loss aversion is that the potential for loss has a much stronger pull on decisions than the potential for gain. Um, so my husband and I are in the early stages of house hunting, and obviously very early, we have no idea what our future home will look like, but we're walking through a home improvement store and we saw a sign offering an 11% rebate, but only for the next three days. So of course, we're walking through the aisles, we see this fabulous rug that we don't need for the house that we don't have, <laughs> and we justified purchasing this rug um, for our non-existent house just because we didn't want to risk losing out on that 11%. So the fear of losing, I don't even know how much we would get for 11% on that rug, but it was much stronger than what we'd gain from just waiting until we had a house. And I know, Justin, you and your wife are kind of in the same boat with house hunting right now. I'm going through the exact same process. Mm -hmm. uh, our small rental property, the basement is full of a fully furnished home that we <laughs> do not yet have. So I know exactly what you mean. And because of this podcast, I'm going to keep that in mind. So it's, it's good right. to know. So hopefully it's the okay, rooms will fit all that furniture. Yes. Of the fingers. house that you haven't found right. yet. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so <laughs> how can we relate this to benefits? Well, I think the most obvious example is the 401k match. You need to encourage your employees to participate in the plan and collect that employer match. You just frame it and say, 
It's like leaving money on the table and walking away from it. One way to make this theory really stronger is to consider a stretch match. So maybe you have a 401k match that matches 100% of the first 3% that they contribute to their account. But 3% really isn't all that much to contribute and won't get them securely to retirement with a, a nice big pile of money. So what you need to do perhaps is to offer them a 50% match on the first 6% or even 8% or 10% of what they're contributing. That way they don't want to miss that miss out on that, but um, then they'll be contributing more of their income and end up with a greater stockpile in their account at the end. Let's do a quick lightning round. Okay. Uh, social norms in the workplace as well as in society as a whole, people notice the, the behavior of others and they're influenced by them. Um, an example from real life for me, um, I'm in the process of visiting all 30 Major League Baseball parks. In my favorite park, AT&T Park in San Francisco, has ushers at the top of all the aisles so they don't allow people to go walk back and forth to their seats and interview the action for other people, uh, which personally I'm a fan of. Well, I think that's a really good idea. I've gone to games too and just is so annoying when there's a play going on and bunch of people walk past you, you can't see. It gets a little frustrating. Mm -hmm. So now when I go to any game at any stadium, at any level, <laughs> I stand at the top of the aisle and wait for those breaks in action. So the action of one random usher in San Francisco, California, thousands of miles away, has impacted my decision making everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> and you can start the social norm here in Milwaukee. Absolutely. So again, how does this relate to benefits? It's a good idea to show your employee population that their peers are participating in the 401k plan or a wellness program. Uh, tell them how many of their peers are participating and how much they're contributing to the retirement accounts. I don't know if you guys remember for National Employee Benefits Day here at the International Foundation, we hung up posters so that staff could see what their colleagues were contributing to our 401k plan. Mm -hmm. And the stat was that 95% of staff contribute, which was pretty powerful to share for those 5% who might just be thinking about it and haven't made that move yet. Mm -hmm. I thought those were very effective. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's just kind of tapping into the idea of peer pressure almost. Mm -hmm. So In a good way. In a good In way. In a positive <laughs> way. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I follow movies quite a lot. And I've seen lots of Oscar-nominated movies. And that brings up another theory of behavior behavioral decision-making called the serial position effect. The definition for that is people are more likely to remember things that are either presented first in a list or maybe last in a list. And um, I know you all have noticed that movie producers will often wait until, say, October or November to release movies that they think have a good chance to get nominated for an Oscar. And so they're capitalizing on that thought of the things that the voters have seen more recently are going to reside more favorably in their minds and they're more likely to vote for them. In fact, there's been some studies done that to be considered for best picture a film, historically most of them are released in October and November. Sometimes they even call that the prestige season because they save the good ones till then mm -hmm. because they're more likely to get more votes. There's enough time for people to see the movies, but 
because they're the more recent movies they've seen, they're more likely to vote for them. So the way this could relate to benefits is uh, really for you all to be mindful when you're creating lists of plan choices or investment choices. Keep in mind that it's likely that your participants or employees will choose either what's right at the top of the list or right at the bottom of the list. So maybe kind of gear what you're hoping they'll pick to those positions. And don't make that list too long or there'll be choice overload. That is true. (laughs) So I'm going to jump in with kind of a final theory and it's storytelling because surprise we haven't just been telling stories for our own entertainment and hopefully yours over the last couple minutes Um, so people remember stories better than statistics and they're more motivated to act by testimonials and so we've been using this technique on you this entire episode and we're betting that you'll remember all of these theories just based on the fabulous stories that we tied to them. (laughs) But the stories are all true. They are true true stories. And we can relate storytelling back to benefits. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So how can we use this theory for retirement or health care, et cetera? One possibility is to have retirees tell active workers what it's like in retirement, Uh, maybe some of the lessons they've learned, maybe a few things that they wish they would have known before they went into retirement. Maybe make a video, bring them in for a quick lunch and learn. Um, Again, tell those stories to get them to be able to bridge that gap between their current status and how life is like in retirement. Yep, that'll have a bigger impact than just hearing the benefits person talk about what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I think we've come to the end of our episode, but we hope we've given you some really useful ideas for your benefit plans. Yeah, and one thing I'll say is um, most of these ideas that we're throwing out, they're either low cost or no cost. So this shouldn't put a big financial burden on your organization for implementing some of these practices. Mm -hmm. But as with anything involving benefit design or communication or education changes, uh, please be mindful of your employee population. Remember that no one thing works for all organizations and really you should be considering what will work best for your employees. And then if you'd like to see any of the resources that we have on behavioral decision making, you can visit our website at ifebp.org slash benefits day. It has all of the webcasts and podcasts and um, examples of resources that I had chatted about earlier. And then if you have any stories to share or techniques that have worked for your organization, you can email us at podcast at ifebp.org. We'd love to hear that. Well, thanks for joining us today, Anne. It was really great to have you with us. Thanks for inviting me. It was fun storytelling and <laughs> learning about all these different examples of behavioral decision-making. Okay. Well, we look forward to meeting next month to tackle another benefit topic. Sounds good. See you all then. Looking forward to it. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to it on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you prefer, so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Today's program is copyrighted in 2018 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. All rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel.